This is Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm an entrepreneur who's passionate about all things business. As a trained economist with consulting background, currently working to educate business professionals in a college setting, I constantly gather information, advise my clients, teach students, and train people with the best practices. In this podcast, I will provide intelligence in business management, economic and data analysis, digital marketing, and international business strategy. Let me help you navigate the complexity in this challenging and dynamic business world. This is Business Intelligence Podcast. And I am Dr. Wei Chun Wang. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm here as always with my partner, Mr. Joey Digangji. Hey everyone, how are you doing? Hey, today we picked a very interesting industry that we wanted to talk to you about.、Uh, that is the fitness industry. If you have followed our previous episodes, you will learn that there were several industries that we kind of pointed out that have done fairly well in the post-pandemic world, and the fitness industry is definitely one of them. Yeah, and this is something that Wei Chong and I are both very passionate about.、Um, back before lockdown happened, Wei Chong and I we were in the gym almost every day working out together. So something that we're we're pretty knowledgeable about and have really enjoyed kind of paying attention to and analyzing the different business models over the past couple months. And some of you are probably wondering, well, what are you talking about? We can't even go to the gym right now, and you're you're saying the fitness industry is doing very very well. Well, you bet we are,、uh, because yes, according to health experts,、uh, there are. Some、uh, places that you shouldn't frequent. Gym is definitely one of them. Restaurants,、um, as well as bars. But if you think the fitness industry only covers the gym business, you are dead wrong. Yeah, the need for staying in shape, the desire to wake up every day and feel healthy, that's still there. So all of people's time, energy, and as it turns out, money is all. It has to get channeled away from the gym, but it has to go somewhere else. And I think America, as well as other countries in the first world. Uh, have a very very big market of people that understands the value and the benefits of maintaining very good、uh, physical health, and so the, the population that actually works out is pretty big. Yeah, and we were talking the other day just about like when you you know some people are they're working out so they can stay in shape. They it's it's about like you know trying to look and feel good. For other people, I mean just the the rush of endorphins, how good you feel when you start the day. And we were having a conversation the other day.、Uh, it was kind of like a "Would you rather?" And it was,、um, you know, what would make you more productive? We were talking about would it be working for four hours straight in the office? Do you get more done, or do you get more done if you work out for an hour and a half and then come into the gym for two or come into the office for two hours? And we were both pretty, you know, decided that it, you know, for us, it would definitely be going to the gym and then coming in feeling really fresh, really just, you know, in, in good health. And then being able to attack your to-do list, we think we get more done. I think that's felt for a lot of people across the country. And I think the boost in energy level and the productivity level after you have a workout,、uh, that that has some very serious scientific evidence、yeah. to back it up. I mean, you don't have to take our words for it.、Um, you know, you look at how many people are routinely working out, you would then know 
you know, whether or not uh, we're telling the truth. Now, having said that, in the post-pandemic world, this has actually caused a lot of people a lot of trouble, you know, yeah. especially those people uh, who would religiously go to the gym to work out. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, there is a big group of people um, in the United States uh, as well as in other countries in the first world that do that. So how do they cope with the situation? And Joey, how do you, how do, you do that? So for me, I, I mean, Wei Chow, you probably have one of the nicest home gyms I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't before, before the pandemic started. So ever since late February, March, I've been trying to piece together uh, different pieces of equipment, trying to find things here and there. Uh, looking at either in Dick's, Walmart, Target, wherever I'm walking into, just trying to like buy whatever's on the shelves, and there really isn't much at this point. Right, which reflects another issue um, at hand. That is, you know, the pandemic has already caused a very significant and serious interruptions in our international supply chain, and majority of the fitness equipment, unfortunately, are made overseas, um, which really provided the American companies uh, really little to sell and put on a shelf. Um, and, and, and that also explains why that there is a significant shortage in the fitness equipment in the marketplace. Yeah, so like when I was in the store, I bought the very last bike in Walmart. I bought one of the last like pull-up bars and put that in, into one of the door frames. I was on, so Facebook Marketplace is somewhere that I frequent a lot trying to find new workout equipment. And the other day, a friend sh- uh, shared, he was looking for something else, but he found a like the perfect bench which was exactly what i was looking for fairly reasonable price um and it just posted online so he sent me the link i got it on facebook and i go and i open up the page it had posted just six minutes ago and i sent the message to the person you know is or is this still available and he said no sorry it just sold i mean it was six minutes and it was gone already like i mean that is a, is a great example of just how much demand there is right now for fitness equipment Right. And I consider myself very fortunate because, you know, like like Joey said, I, I started putting together my home gym, um, you know, several years back. And I think right now I have pretty much all the equipment that I need, um, you know, plates, dumbbells, power rack, uh, barbell, uh, bench. I have pretty much everything that I need. But I would also say that it actually requires ordinary people a lot more than having this equipment because, you know, having this equipment doesn't guarantee you to have the level of comfort that you could conduct a, a workout on your own. Oftentimes, you would need uh, prof- the, the help from professional trainers to show you all these different moves. Um, the entry barrier to uh, have a workout session that is effective at your house is pretty high, I would argue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at this point, Wei Chang and I are pretty comfortable if we you know, we're the walk into a gym or buy some new piece of equipment, we could probably figure something out, you know, and get a, a, a decent workout out of it. But in both of our lives, I mean, it took someone else showing us the ropes and then walking us through it because we, when we started out, we had no idea what we were, you know, what we were doing. You know, Wei Chung had someone that, you know, that you that walked you through workouts. And I had a few people, you being one of them, that really showed me as I, you know, kind of got started on my fitness journey, what to really do in there to get the most of your time. Which provides us a very good segue into, um, you know, kind of identifying a couple companies that have been trying to renovate and, and revolutionize this industry. That is, uh, for example, Peloton. Yeah, that's a good one. So Peloton Bike, I'm not sure whether you've heard of it. Uh, it, was, uh, it started out as a Kickstarter project back in 2013. So the founder of Peloton wanted to provide a bike, right? How hard can it be, right, you would think? Uh, but the model was that he wanted to create 
he he wanted to create not only a piece of hardware but also a service module that demonstrates and shows people how to ride bike and motivate people with all these programs that they designed um, to guarantee you results. Yeah, and that's I mean. It's kind of like the difference. Like sometimes people will they'll criticize Peloton for being you know, uh, you know it's just a, a stationary bike, but that's almost like saying you know if you hand somebody a, a set of dumbbells they can get an effective workout in. There's a there's absolutely a precedent to you know have kind of like that train you know the personal trainer um, uh, business model. And so one of the things that we really like about Peloton, some of the other companies we'll talk about, is that they found a way to kind of deliver that service model. Uh, but at a much more scalable rate because they can deliver as part of their their product. To make it a little bit more relatable to you, uh, Peloton is currently s- uh, selling their bikes at two thousand dollars. That's the basic one, and the bike will come with a large screen. And if you want more bells and whistles, you could pay you know maybe a thousand dollars more to have an even larger screen and with more accessories. Uh, but the basic model comes with a subscription plan, um, and that is thirty nine ninety nine. Obviously, you don't, you're not obligated to subscribe to the service, but the whole point of the Peloton model is for you to have the programs accessible to you so that you could um, you know, ride the bike following the trainers and following the programs that are designed to enhance your physical strength. Um, what's more interesting about the business model is that um, Peloton just released their, their uh, quarterly financials uh, in the fourth quarter of fiscal year 2019. And you look at their financials, you'd be really surprised. For those that actually pay for the subscription service, on average, each person will do around 25 workout sessions uh, per month. Right? So that's nearly one per day. And that, all, that all only shows you the level of user stickiness of their business model. You dig deeper in their, into their financials and you realize that their subscription revenue accounted for 20% of their total revenue. Um, and you'll then look at the margin uh, created by the subscription uh, model. The margin is 63.8%. So what a fantastic business model. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think, um, you know, with, with kind of that subscription model, you compare that to like a regular gym. I mean, they're kind of banking on you to not, or at least a, a decent number of people that subscribe to not be in there every single day. Uh, I mean, Peloton's got people in there, like you said, almost once per day. That's unbelievable. The big players in the physical gym uh, business, like Planet Fitness, 24 Fitness, as well as California, um, they are almost charging you and hoping that you don't even use their equipment. Yeah, so if, if they were ever at capacity, I mean, it would be very difficult for them to sign new members. They're kind of banking on the fact that when someone new comes to sign for the gym, there's going to be space to, to put them. If they had all of their members, they, would, they, would, they couldn't house everyone in there at one time. Right. So Peloton uh, adopted this business model pretty early on. Like I said, I mean, it used to be a, a, a Kickstarter project back in 2013. But interestingly enough, they don't make their bikes here in the United States. Uh, right. They built their own supply chain. So a few years back, they actually went to Taiwan and acquired this really old company that uh, manufactures spin bikes and traditional stationary bikes. You know, um, and that, that company was almost about to fail before um, uh, Peloton uh, went knocking on their door. So Peloton decided to acquire it 100% and let the company produce their bikes. 
And then um, a few years later, again, they identify another Taiwanese company that is Rexon. Uh, Rexon was known for making the power tools, but Rexon now is the Peloton's largest suppliers for treadmills. Um, so Peloton, again, um, established their own supply chain, um, but trying to really capitalize on the service offerings, not necessarily on the hardware sales, uh, because the hardware sales, as you know, there's nothing special to it. I mean, again, it's not a new technology. Everybody knows how um, how bikes work, um, and there's nothing new and nothing special to it. You put a large screen on the bike, you know, what's more advanced to, than that? It's just a screen and a bike. The really big, the biggest selling point is the programs that come with it. Yeah, and, and the reason why, one of the reasons why we love this business model so much is just the fact that it, um, it creates an ongoing relationship with the customer, and that really sets the part, you know, for most gym equipment. I mean, you think, like we were talking about this earlier, how they have, you know, if you have like just weights and something like that, they last forever. I mean, you're making one, maybe two significant purchases of, of workout equipment in your life. So for that business model to, to sustain you, that you're, you're, you're having to create brand new sales channels, brand new customers on a regular basis, where this model, you know, obviously you have the hardware sales that are going to help you, but then you, you get sustainability because that customer, you have an ongoing monetary relationship back and forth with them. And that's, that's a really big advantage, especially for right now. To going off of what you just said, Joey, I could identify a couple companies that um, have been trying to sell fitness-related equipment, but they don't have a service model that goes with the products that they sell. And one of those examples being Fitbit. Right. right. So I, I, uh, I'm not trying to be critical, but I personally have owned a couple Fitbit, uh, Fitbit uh, watches in the past, but they're not the most durable watches that I have used. And the reason why I even bought the second one was the, because my first one broke. Right. And they, it's almost like they, they bank on the things that they sell to you to break because that's how they get the money or more money out of you. Um, their their uh, business model is built upon uh, you know, the iterations of products that they create to the marketplace. Otherwise, how do they even, you know, get to keep charging you more money? Yeah, if they want recurring revenue from a customer, that means repeat purchases. Where if Peloton wants recurring revenue, that means just maintaining a service. It's much, you know, we, we think it's much easier to take that service approach. Right. And there's another company that does similar things uh, on a slightly higher end, right? So I'm not sure whether you've heard of Garmin. Garmin is known for the GPS technology that it develops. And I got to give it to Garmin because, you know, four or five years back, they, they decided that they needed to mm -hmm. pivot because, you know, ever since... Um, people start using um, smartphones, uh, you have the maps, you have the GPS technology built in in your smartphones. So the GPS devices that Garmin sold at the time um, tanked, right? So they decided to pivot by incorporating the GPS technology into wearable devices, um, uh, namely watches. So you want to buy, you know, Garmin watches, you know, the high-end ones will cost you anywhere between $400 to even $600. Uh, those are really high-end ones. But again, it lacks the, the service model that goes with it. Um, so every couple years, they have to bank on, you know, creating this new iteration, um, uh, new watches to try to really get uh, people to um, pay them again and, and spend money on their products. And now they're in, in trouble again with another smart device that's kind of 
you know, going into the uh, the fitness industry, and that would be the Apple Watch. Now they have Apple Fitness, which again, it's the the hardware sale itself, but then it incorporates the entire service model, uh, ten ninety nine per month or seventy nine. It's actually nine ninety nine or uh, yeah. nine ninety nine, right? Rather, or seventy nine uh, ninety nine um, per year, and it's that service model. So again, they're their get their industries in trouble with uh, you know a service based smart device. I I personally am particularly uh, fascinated about the service offerings that Apple had offered in the past years. Mm. I mean, you look at their financials. If you have ever tracked their numbers, you realize that in recent years, the percentage of their revenue coming from service has been skyrocketed and enhanced throughout these past few years. You were talking about the, you know, the Apple Fitness that you just mentioned. Yep. How about Apple Music? How about Apple Care? Uh, all these um, services, not only they are recurring, but they have a very high margin. So that right. is a fantastic business model. Yeah, and that's one of the other things we were talking about too with service versus uh, you know, repeat purchases. Uh, you know, service model is a lot more scalable. Uh, you know, if you, for Fitbit, for Garmin, to get those repeat purchases, uh, you know, if the your device breaks or you need a new upgrade, that would be one way to, to kind of like reinvigorate the, the customer to make a new purchase. The other way is you have to invest again your engineering in your, you know, in your supply chain, whatever whatever piece along the way you can use to create a better version of whatever your product is, um, but. It, it requires kind of like more of an active approach as opposed to letting people passively continue to use that service that you're providing. Right. So coming back to Peloton, I think that what Peloton creates fits the purpose of really high percentage of people. I mean, talking about the uh, those people that regularly go to the, the gym without uh, having to rely on the personal trainers, those are the people that know what they're doing yeah. with the equipment. Um, but then again, I mean, talking about the equipment that they are buying right now, it's a one-time purchase, you know, because how long will the dumbbells and plates or barbell last? Pretty much forever. Those things don't break. They're indestructible, yeah. Yeah, they're indestructible. Um, so really, how do, you, how do you get more money out of those people? It's, so Peloton creates a model that actually fits the purpose of, I would say, 90 or 95% of the population who don't have the access to the, the equipment um, uh, usually carry in a commercial gym and who are who, or who don't even have the space to have a home gym. Um, you have a bike, you have a screen, and you just follow along. Yeah, I gotta I gotta say, however, that you know Peloton bike that's a cardio exercise, and the cardio exercise has its limitation because unlike the resistance training, um, the cardio uh, exercise will enhance your cardiovascular strength. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it does little to enhance uh, your lean muscle mass. But that's a topic for another day. I just like the, the model, how they're targeting the majority of the population, trying to focus on getting the recurring revenue. And because of this business model, you start seeing uh, some competition uh, mm -hmm. uh, come up in the marketplace. I recently came across this company called Zwift. Um, uh, Z-W-I-F-T, Zwift. I'm not even sure whether I'm pronouncing it right. Um, but it's a very interesting company. Uh, it tries to emulate what Peloton is trying to do, but allows you to just use your bike and, um, you know, any tablet or screen that you have, be that TV, iPad, or Android, 
you could link the programs and it's a gaming system that allows you to link your trainer up to your computer iPad or Apple TV and then let you ride with other cyclists in a virtual environment so again they're selling you a program um, it has a service um, revenue component in it this company recently just raised 450 million dollars it's just very interesting to see how many companies are trying to capitalize this po post-pandemic moment in particular this fitness industry i'm not sure joey whether you have heard of this company called tono so tono is um, a device that allows you to conduct resistance training at home so imagine Tono is kind of like the screen that you would see in a big shopping mall, uh, the big kind of like elongated screen that has the catalogs and the menus uh, in the restaurants, for example. They are building um, the screen with the magnetic forces and handles that allows you to adjust the handles to different angles so that you could conduct all these variety of different moves, um, basically mimicking all the moves that you could have done in a commercial gym. Yeah, this is incredible because this is kind of what you were talking about earlier, right, John, with Peloton filling that cardiovascular health, but then you, you still lack that uh, resistance training. So that's the part that's going to help you define your muscles, uh, build up muscle mass, and kind of like build up that that type of strength. So everything, uh, so uh, not only just like the cardio, but also the from from your your waist up. So being able to tone your upper body and and maintain that part of your health. Again, it goes back to the subscription model, right? So right, right off the bat, you, you might think that Tono is um, uh, pricing their products really <clears throat> at a really high level. I think it's going to cost you about three grand to have that screen installed. I mean, it provides the white glove services because, you know, to ensure safety, their people have to come out and install the Tono screen onto uh, your wall, any wall that you, you designate, and then you could start working out uh, with all these programs that it has built in uh, onto that that screen, all you need to do is just you know pick the program that you wanna you wanna do and pick the body part, and then you just follow through and finish your workout session at home. Doesn't take that much space and doesn't take that much time. All you need to do is just follow the program religiously, and then you will be fine. And I would argue, however, some people might might say that the three thousand dollars is too steep. But if you were to build up your full blown home gym. I think three grand is the, at the least amount that you would need to need to spend to to have decent equipment around um, to allow you to finish all these movements. So Tono is really trying to break through with what it could offer uh, in the service offerings and the technology that it has. Yeah, it's a uh, comparatively lower financial burden and also alleviates some of that barrier to entry that we were talking about earlier. But do you identify the common thing? That is the service, yeah. right? So again, it's a subscription service model. They're going to charge you, um, you know, however much. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it's thirty or forty dollars a month. But but here is the problem, right? I mean, you would never stop paying for subscription, knowing that you've already invested three thousand right. dollars. You probably wouldn't want um, to uh, keep that uh, piece of screen or piece of junk, uh, knowing that without the programs, you can't effectively use it. Right. So you would keep paying for it. it. It kind of fosters that like ongoing relationship and especially, you know, with the value that they're, they're aiming to provide. It's the sort of thing you're going to keep wanting to, to reinvest in as you take care of your physical health. So it's a really good model that builds up a, a, a loyal relationship between customer and service provider. 
Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, the fact that we're talking about fitness industry is not necessarily asking you to identify ways to participate in this uh, in this particular industry. Uh, if you are trying to, you know, capture opportunities by looking at which industries are doing well, then decide whether you want to come in or not. It's probably already too late. Right. But I think there's a lot of takeaway that we could have just by looking at the, the industries that are currently doing well. I mean, there are a lot of clients that have approached us in recently um, asking us for help in um, kind of renovating their business model as well as providing um, business leads or generating business leads. Our advice has been pretty consistent. I mean, you really need to try to find ways to um, lay out your services and design it in a way so that you could take advantage of what's going on uh, right now in the post-pandemic world. Yeah, so if we use, you know, if you're not in the fitness industry and we're taking a look at the, at the principles of why some companies in the fitness world and some companies are not successful in the fitness world, that's what we're trying to, you know, help communicate to the clients that we're working with. For example, say we have a traditional brick and mortar store. They realize that, okay, now we need to make the move. We have to go online. Trying to foster that ongoing relationship in, in, without having the ability to have foot traffic coming in or go to trade shows and participate. How do you start to build up that relationship? One example that we did, you know, we, we, so first we helped the company get online, which is a great first step. But then looking at their business model and introducing, okay, you know, we, instead of having to you know, have our customers keep buying products from us, why not build a subscription model where we deliver the product on, on a monthly basis and the customer saves 10%, they're happy with our services, and we have consistent recurring revenue, we're building a stronger relationship with our customer base, being able to make decisions like that. And that's something that you can look at in any industry that you're in just trying to find more ways to build a stronger relationship with, with the, the audience that you serve. Yeah, there have been a couple clients that approach us and wanting us to help them build the platform um, so that they could start selling products virtually, right? But it doesn't stop there because we, we argue that the, the pricing strategy matters, um, how you uh, really market your products matter, how do you message uh, the target audience matters. How do you maintain that, again, ongoing relationship with your customers matter? Yeah, a website alone does not make a good online business. And that's one of the most important concepts that, you know, you can walk away from. I mean, even if we go back to looking at the fitness industry, like we see companies like Peloton or uh, Tonal that are like saying these trends in the industry. You don't necessarily have to be at the forefront of whatever you're doing. Just being able to kind of look and find ways that you can slowly start to build up more relationships uh, and, and in a way that is easy to deliver online. Anyway, Sean, how many fitness apps or online personal trainers have you seen now in the past several oh, months? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, an example of like how these smaller companies are taking advantage and, and looking at the trend in their own industry. Mm -hmm. And what we try to do with our clients, you know, we say, all right, let's look at your industry. How are companies... Uh, what, what separates the companies that are successful and not successful right now through an online platform? I mean, we could take a broader perspective by defining the fitness industry and include, for example, the companies that sell supplements, right? Right, yeah, there's um, another one. Yeah, to give you an opposite example, I mean, GNC is in this broadly defined industry, but it just filed bankruptcy in the post-pandemic world. Yeah. And you would argue that, wait a second, how come it's the case? Because, you know, apparently everybody is, should pay attention to the uh, fiscal health uh, more than ever in the post-pandemic world. But how come GNC doesn't do well? 
Right. Yeah. It's not because the need went away. I mean, I was just in Walmart the other day, and they added a brand new, uh, an additional shelf to house all the new supplements that are available for purchase. So the need's still there, but certain operating models, certain practices aren't always going to be sustainable. And looking at GNC in particular, uh, there are so many brick-and-mortar stores that GNC operates, it just is not sustainable in the post-pandemic world. I mean, the 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 cost with respect to operating in, the, in a brick-and-mortar setting really drags them down, right? So again, in the post-pandemic world, how do you pivot? How do you uh, identify a business model that makes sense? Um, doesn't necessarily have to be um, you in the fitness industry, but there are lessons to be learned. Yeah, it's all about just recognizing where the you know the enduring principles that you can pull from these companies and how you adapt that into your own competitive arena. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us today. And um, you know, if you're interested in what we just talked about and have some questions about your own business, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we'd be happy to have a conversation with you and. Perhaps that uh, there will be some insight that we could provide you with uh, so that you could uh, coordinate and facilitate your business better. Take care, everyone. Stay healthy. Bye.